Hello and welcome to Finances Made Friendly. We've created this podcast to help you get the most out of your finances. In this episode, I'm joined by renowned interior designer and presenter of Scotland's Home of the Year, the fabulous Anna Campbell-Jones. We'll be chatting about home improvements on a budget, how to find inspiration for your next project, how to add value to your home and some of the best places in Glasgow for vintage finds. You'll also learn more in fuss-free finances with Fergus Muirhead and Jean Johansson, broadcast journalist and presenter of A Place in the Sun, drops in to tell us about a great investment that has quadrupled in value. But first, a little introduction to Anna. Before we start, um, I know I gave a little introduction to you there, but would you mind just giving us a deeper insight into how you got into interior design? Well, um, the the short version or the long version? The long version. <laughs> well, my dad was an architect, and um, when he used to like look after me if my mum was busy, sometimes he would take me on site. And um, that from a very young age, then I got really excited about the idea that you could transform buildings and spaces. And I just loved all the kind of building work and the mess and the dust and all of that kind of thing. And um, so, yeah, I decided to explore a career in the kind of built environment, I suppose, um, which ended up with me applying to Glasgow School of Art to study interior design. Um, I wanted to live in a different city. I'm from London originally, um, and I was a huge fan of Charles Rennie Mackintosh and the idea of studying just anywhere near the art school building was absolutely incredible. So um, I did my degree at the art school. That's a lovely start, being inspired by your dad. What happened after graduation? When I graduated, it was that was 1991, so that was just at the beginning of that recession. Um, there were very, very few jobs in interior design, and there certainly weren't any in Scotland, so I had to move to London. And I worked in various practices in London, uh, doing commercial interiors. I designed trains, airports, um, shopping centres, department stores, restaurants, all sorts of different things. Um, and then in 1999, I had my first child, Frank, <laughs> and um, we decided to move back to Scotland that we thought that living in Glasgow would be um, more family friendly mm -hmm. than um, the traffic jams of uh, the Fulham <laughs> Palace Road. Um, so, yeah, I came here, back here in 1999 and sort of by accident um, started designing people's homes, which I hadn't ever done before, um, at the same time as lecturing part-time at Glasgow School of Art. And then over the last 20-plus years, <laughs> um, I built a business designing people's homes. Five years ago, I was approached to be a judge on Scotland's Home of the Year, and I thought, That'd be fun, give it a try. <laughs> um, didn't realise it would be the runaway hit that it yeah. has become. So um, that's changed my life quite a lot in my 50s. Um, it's extraordinary. And you also, you were teaching at Glasgow School of Art as well, weren't you? Yes, I lectured in the interior design department in, at Glasgow School of Art um, part-time at the same time as running my business and bringing up the kids and for a lot of that time being a single parent. So quite a hectic time, um, but very rewarding to be reminded actually of the excitement of the idea of a career in interior design and um, to be inspired by young people and their ideas. It kind of kept me fresh, um, but I had to stop doing the lecturing when the TV work started mm -hmm. because I just couldn't fit 
three jobs in. <laughs> so tell us about the show. I mean, it's hugely successful, as you said, and we see you popping up and you, know, you were in The Guardian recently. You've been on the front cover of loads of magazines, you know, and you've mentioned that it's changed your life. What's it like being at the helm of that show? Well, it's great because um, when they first approached me, I was... <sighs> I was quite reluctant. I was a bit like, I don't really want to judge people. That's not really who I am. And I don't think um, other people should say what people should do in their homes. And I'm when I was talking to the producers, I said that I wasn't really that interested um, <laughs> unless we could shift the emphasis a little um, from judging people's design taste to talking about home and what home means and that's something that I'm very passionate about and something that I have espoused in my practice um that I really think that people should live exactly how they want to live and their homes should be exactly how they want them to be and it's not about some designer swooping in and going oh my god I can't believe they did that you know so um and they, and they actually really liked that idea and it, it sort of affected the tone of the programme and I think that's why it's become so popular because although the three of us are judges, mm-hmm. we're not judgmental mm-hmm. um, and the homes in the show range wildly from, you know, studio flat to a castle to everything in between. Um, lots of homemade interiors, lots of people doing stuff themselves but also people employing interior designers, as they should, um, uh, you know, and architects and doing really, really amazing things. And I think it just shows that whatever your budget, you can make an amazing home. And the variety of homes in the show supports that. And I think that's why people like it, because everybody can relate to it. Absolutely. That's one of the reasons that I love it is because it is so accessible and you can see brilliant ideas for inspiration, whether or not you have a huge budget or a smaller budget. So just on the budget front, you know, where do you start if you're thinking about giving your home a makeover? (sighs) Well, I mean, obviously there's a lot of things. um, And I always, the sort of broadest thing is that you go outside in, top down. So before you start doing things to the interior, you need to make sure that your home is weathertight Mm -hmm. Um, and you do the kind of mucky things first. So if you're going to do a bathroom or a kitchen, you do that before you do the other spaces because they'll just make a mess of the other spaces. Mm -hmm. And then you do the whole last because that's where everybody tramples (laughs) through when they're doing the work in the other spaces. So that's the kind of general idea of the kind of the order in which you might do things. If your home's in pretty good condition, then you can sort of do what you want. The simplest thing, and it sounds so easy to say, but the simplest thing is to play with colour. Mm-hmm. Paint can absolutely transform a space, and it's the most inexpensive way of doing that. And it's something that you can do yourself. You don't have to get a professional in to do it. And I always say to clients and friends or anybody who'll listen, um, do not worry about what other people think of those colours. Mm-hmm. That even if you paint your house beige and grey <laughs> because you're worried about um, selling your property or it, the, what the next people that live in the property would think of it, they might not like beige either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so just please yourself. And it's only paint. And if you don't like it, you can change it. Mm -hmm. And don't worry about making mistakes. I think people really worry about making mistakes. 
And that's when they don't follow their heart with what they do with their homes. When we look at your Instagram, you share lots of lovely photos of your home. How many times have you kind of like redesigned your home? Like, do you update and refresh your paint and your your furnishings on a regular basis? Well, I think all homes are a work in progress, um, as as we are as human <laughs> beings, and that and that because we change and our lives change, um, our homes change with us. Um, uh, whether it's the function of the rooms, you know, a room changes from being a spare room to a kid's room to a TV room to a home office or whatever and whatever changes that you need to make to that space to make it work for you at that time, um, you you do. Um, I've been in my flat for um, 23 years and when first moved in, painted all the floorboards black, painted all the walls white because white paint is the cheapest and mm-hmm. that was kind of all I could afford to do. Um, and then over the years, uh, kind of uh, like barnacles, objects <laughs> and um, weird pieces of furniture and stuff like that. Um, a lot of my furniture I found in junk shops or left out for the bin man in the back lane or, you know, um, or I've acquired from uh, <laughs> friends or members of the family or whatever. Um, but yes, colour has encroached. Mm-hmm. So there's now not a single white wall in my home. It's mm-hmm. very, very, very colourful. And um, I don't think I'll ever stop. I don't, you know, you just just keep going. You just think, oh, I, I don't know, I feel like painting this room orange. <laughs> Why not? Exactly. <laughs> now, from a value perspective, is it true that the bathroom and the kitchen are the most important aspects when it comes to property value? What I do know is that when um, somebody is buying a property, it's a little bit like um, dating. (laughs) You know, you see a property, you fall in love. um, And that can be for a number of reasons. Um, The feel, the smell, the light, you know, Mm -hmm. these are the kinds of things that make people fall in love with the properties. So, yeah, kitchens and bathrooms are important um, and there are inexpensive things you can do to improve those um but I think having a kind of overall cohesive feel um a a home that feels authentic and loved is one that is going to appeal the most what's an easy low-cost way of sprucing up your home I often discourage clients from getting a new kitchen I think it's something that people think that they need to do they Mm -hmm. they they move into a property and they're like oh I need a new kitchen because Mm -hmm. maybe they don't like the layout or they don't like the design of the units and obviously that's kitchens are made from melamine faced chipboard so it's a combination of sawdust and glue and plastic um so it's completely not recyclable um kitchens go straight to landfill Mm -hmm. um so where possible I try and reuse base units um even if you change the layout, you can actually probably reuse quite a lot of the base units, even the appliances as well, or even just some of the appliances. You know, if one of them's broken, then you can replace that. Um, so you can sort of massage, if you like, your kitchen with what you've got. <laughs> if the layout's all right, um, maybe you just change the, the unit fronts. Um, most kitchen doors can be painted mm-hmm. with the right primer, which you can just get from being you um, and then you can make an absolutely huge transformation just by paint, painting the units and what about the bathroom what could we consider bathrooms are more tricky they are tricky aren't they? <laughs> um, because bathrooms do have a tendency over time to start becoming incontinent and getting mouldy <laughs> patches you know 
like the best of us. <laughs> Glad you said that. I was thinking it. <laughs> I could see you were thinking that. <laughs> so it is quite difficult to do a major overhaul of a bathroom mm-hmm. um, inexpensively, but certainly um, often just a really, really good deep clean. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get um, grout pens, so you can. If the grout is a bit stained, um, maybe you can stain. You can actually dye the grout. So if if, the st- if you've got white tiles and the grout's gone a bit grubby, you could actually stain the grout, you know, a fun colour and mm-hmm. create a really different atmosphere. And um, obviously, decorating, um, replacing all of the silicon so that that's all sparkling. And usually, the floor is something that takes a real beating in a bathroom, but you can. Putting marmoleum. 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 I should have said marmoleum. (laughs) Marmoleum, which is uh, like linoleum. So that's an environmentally friendly sheet flooring. It's not terribly expensive um, and it comes in lots of amazing colours. That's something that I often use in Mm. bathrooms to inject a bit of personality. Mm. Because I think bathrooms can Mm. end up being a bit bland because Mm -hmm. they feel really permanent. Mm -hmm. People tend to go for white or beige or grey mm-hmm. and um, I think a bathroom should cheer you up in the morning. <laughs> Absolutely agree. So when it comes to working with clients at Habitus Design, um, how does the process start? Like talk us through a typical client if there is such a thing. There's no such thing as a typical client because, you know, we're all human beings and we're all unique. Um, and I think that the process kind of reflects that. Um one of my clients who was a psychiatrist, she said it was a little bit like therapy. <laughs> um, my process, if you like, which sounds a bit pretentious, but I really believe in collaborating with clients, that it's not about me swooping in mm-hmm. and um, imposing my style or my ideas on someone else's home. I'm not going to live in it. Mm-hmm. They are. So the first bit of the process um, is really about getting to know them and uh, getting to understand their taste because I believe that everybody has uh, they've got a palette they've Mm -hmm. got a palette of colors textures patterns um they might not know what it is Mm -hmm. and my job is to kind of help bring that out um Mm -hmm. and I have a number of tricks and ways of doing that (laughs) but I would say to anyone who's thinking about doing um a renovation whether it's getting magazines and tearing pictures out um or um if you've got access to it um Pinterest is a fantastic app for putting together just little collections of images that inspire you. Um, I always say don't choose images that are that literal, mm-hmm. just things that kind of capture a mood. Um, and then you can start to get an idea, mm-hmm. start to get a sense of mm-hmm. the direction that you want to go in. Yeah. Earlier you mentioned sustainability. How much is that a consideration for most people? Yes. I mean, I'm, I'm in a very bad industry, really, when it comes to... Um, sustainability um you know in theory mm-hmm. i should be encouraging people to get all new things and i don't do that mm-hmm. um it's very hard to renovate a property um especially an, an existing property in a way that is sustainable um easier when you're doing a new build because you can you know you can build a kind of zero carbon type property but what i do with my clients is i encourage them to look at everything that they've already got Mm -hmm. to look at it in a new light is that sofa all right Mm -hmm. does it just need to be recovered um are the floorboards okay can we just sand them rather than put a new timber floor over the top 
it's a kind of piecemeal approach, mm-hmm. really. Um, there's not a universal one way of answering that question. Um, but I also do buy a lot of antique and vintage furniture with clients. Um, and that doesn't have to be expensive. I've bought a coffee table from a client from an Oxfam shop, you know, um, that works even better because then you're not only uh, reusing a piece of furniture that somebody might have thrown away, but you're also supporting charities. Absolutely. And I suppose when it's vintage or recycled, it's unique, isn't it? Yes, yes, (laughs) absolutely. The way that you put those things together creates a one-off interior. Um, I recently um, had a pair of curtains made for my home using um, fabric from a friend's house. She had an extension that she had to knock down and rebuild because it was a really kind of, it was like, it was turning into Weetabix. It was just sort of dissolving <laughs> into the garden. There's a 1950s extension and she had these crazy floral chintz curtains and she knew I'd love them. So she <laughs> she kept them and she gave them to me and I've had them in the back of my cupboard for about 15 years. And then I was like, ah, oh, I know how I can use them. They weren't long enough for my windows, but I bought some fabric actually from, made from recycled uh, material. And then I did a border with this, recycled textiles so that's something that I want to explore more actually is mm-hmm. uh, buying vintage textiles and mm-hmm. using them in fresh ways it's brilliant to be able to do you know more with less isn't it um tell us about some of the brilliant vintage and charity shops that you know in Glasgow because you and I both have a passion for <laughs> vintage and recycle <laughs> don't we so if if you don't mind sharing them um what are some of your favorites um well, Salvation Army, the one on Dumbarton Road, is absolutely fantastic. Um, has lots of really, really good furniture. Um, yes, I once did a, a project. I think I bought about six pieces of furniture from there. You've got to move fast, though, yeah. um, because it's, that secret is out. <laughs> um, and the vintage furniture dealers do get in there quite quite quickly. Um, British Heart Foundation mm-hmm. in town sometimes has some good stuff. You've really just got to... Like with all charity shopping, vintage shopping, you've got to be a cruiser. Yeah. You just yep. gotta like every now and then you just go, right, I'm just gonna go I call it going chazzing. Oh, love it. Yeah. You just kind of <laughs> you go you go to all the, all your favourite haunts, whether it's for, for clothing or for home stuff or furniture, or whatever, and you just kind of keep your keep your eye in. And if you see something good, then you you swoop in on it. There are some very, very good um vintage uh, furniture resellers in Glasgow. Um this retro vintage mm-hmm. online is what he calls himself, but um, he's down at um, Glasgow City Antiques on Lancefield Street. Um, the sort of higher end of of that uh, world, I suppose, is I Am Nomad on Great Western Road, which is a much more curated mm-hmm. um, collection of vintage pieces. Um, she also sells new pieces. Um, who else? Salvation, Glasgow. Um I also get radiators and doors from Glasgow Architectural Salvage. Wow. You get absolutely amazing, amazing radiators that have been stripped out of schools and factories. It's not cheap, but they're really, really high quality. They'll last forever and you can get them resprayed in any colour you want. That's amazing. Tell us about some of the, the items that you've picked up from skips or, you know, the pavement, because <laughs> I know you've had some successes, haven't you? <laughs> well, actually, I was um, I was visiting a client in Park Circus Lane. It's quite a few years ago, 
and um, he was quite an eccentric gentleman and um, he didn't mind me doing this um, but as I was walking up to his house I saw a skip which had some chair legs sticking out of it and I couldn't quite <laughs> reach in so I asked him to give me a, a leg up and um, sure enough <laughs> Um, yeah, so he sort of gave, gave me a boost and I climbed into the skip and there were um, three Arne Jakobsen butterfly chairs. Wow. Which, um, they were very, very tired, but I had them reupholstered in some leftover fabric that I had from a job. <laughs> so it was like a really poetic thing. Um, one of them has been lost, but I have two of them left. Um, they're real pride and joy. Um, I've got an Aero Saarinen tulip side table from Oxfam. Um, I've got a beautiful little G-Plan bureau that I found in the back lane one morning when I was um, walking the children to school and I took a funny route home. <laughs> That's amazing. It's so good to know that there are great success stories of just finding things and going, oh, wow, and then, you know, taking it home and having the, you know, the creativity to sort of do it up. What's been the most surprising thing about doing Scotland's Home of the Year? Like, what have you learned about yourself and about interior design? Well, I think what I've learned about myself is that I don't really mind a camera pointing at my face while I'm <laughs> waffling on about interior design. Um, what I've really loved about it, actually, is the feedback that I have had from people on social media, on Instagram and so on, who feel that I think that's the the best way to transform your space with light. I once bought uh, a broken chandelier from the Barras because I love a mooch. You go chasing, I go mooching um, on a Sunday and it was broken. I wanted it for the living room so I took it to a place on Dumbarton Road called Found um, and Stephen, the owner, upcycled it for me and it's in the living room but I never actually switched the big light on <laughs> because <laughs> it's like, it's expensive but also it's just too bright. Tell us about plants, like how can plants transform transform a space and you know is there a particular room that benefits more from plants would you say I'm not really a plant expert I do have some mm -hmm. and um they're mostly alive <laughs> I'm not a kind of naturally green-fingered person um what I would say I have seen a lot of this on the show and I'm very 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 anti it is plastic plants oh, no. it's an absolutely wild trend people yeah. are going mad for it please don't get plastic plants absolutely second that <laughs> if you can't keep them alive don't don't bother, don't bother. um something that i have got and that i think is really uh lovely actually is dried flowers yes so sometimes somebody i don't buy fresh flowers um again because i'm trying to be responsible um for the environment because um, they all get shipped over in refrigerated trucks from yeah. um, Holland. But if I am given flowers, mm -hmm. um, if they're the right kind, then I will hang them up in a cupboard and dry them. I love doing that. I recently yeah. did that with some mimosa and oh, lovely. it's, you know, lovely. It's like sunshine and it's in my kitchen. And that, that's a really good tip, actually, because, again, you're reusing and extending the life cycle of what you're buying, but also it looks great. Yeah. And it's and it's unique. Yeah. You know, where can you look for low cost kitchens? For kitchens, um, you can get kitchens secondhand. Can you can you? buy kitchens on Gumtree, Facebook Marketplace. Um, 
and reconfigure them and maybe just get a new worktop to suit the new layout of the rest of the kitchen. The same with appliances. Um, but if you're buying a new kitchen, whether you get the kitchen from Ikea or Howden's or Pog and Pole, all kitchens are made of the same thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So just get the cheapest one if mm-hmm. budget is an issue for you. Um, the secret to a good kitchen is the fitting of it. Ah, okay. So it needs to be really well fitted. When you get a shonky, shugly, wobbly kitchen and drawer fronts falling off, that's not because of where the kitchen's from. Mm-hmm. It's because of how it's been fitted. Okay. So when we're looking to find a brilliant contractor or a great joiner or plumber or electrician, like you must have an amazing black book. Is there a website that you can recommend for people to go or how, what's the best way of finding a really good fitter? Yeah, I mean, uh, yes, you're right. I have an amazing <laughs> uh, little black book. Um, some of the people in there I've been working with for 20 years um, and I guard it preciously because although I'm a very generous person I do need them to be available <laughs> for my projects so I don't recommend them to absolutely everybody but I do I do spread the love a bit Good. because obviously they they're, yeah, they're brilliant brilliant people the guys that I work with um, next door is a good way um, I've noticed that people will often say, oh, I've just had my bathroom fitted and um, Derek was absolutely amazing and here's his number, I highly recommend him. Or people will put out a request mm-hmm. on Nextdoor for somebody local that can do tiling or build a deck or whatever it is. I think that's a really good way of supporting local um, kind of one-person band businesses. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. One of the things that I wanted to mention is that Glasgow Credit Union offer home improvement loans for members who are looking to improve their home, whether that's adding on an extension or a garage, maybe improving their kitchen and bathroom space as well. And if you are interested, please visit glasgowcu.com for more information. Anna Campbell-Jones, thank you, thank you, thank you. Fergus, what's up next in Fuss Free Finances? Hello, and welcome to this edition of Fuss Free Finances with Fergus. As ever, I'm asking, how well do you understand financial jargon? As according to recent research, almost half of us have had money issues due to a problem understanding money jargon, with some of us accumulating thousands of pounds of debt as a result. On each programme, I'll be explaining a common financial term to help you make sure that you're clued up and avoid some of the common difficulties. Today, I'm going to look at balloon payments, officially the most misunderstood term, with nearly 80% of us confessing that we don't know what they are. Put simply, a balloon payment is a lump sum that needs to be paid at the end of the term of a loan. It allows you to have smaller monthly payments for most of the loan term and then a large lump sum payment at the end of the term. A balloon payment means that you're likely to have a lower monthly payment, but you need to remember that while this helps you to budget month to month, it doesn't actually mean that these loans are cheaper, just that the loan is repaid in a slightly different way. For instance, with cars, many people are not aware that they may need to prepare for a balloon payment at the end of the term. When taking out a loan with a balloon payment, the calculations are slightly different to a standard loan. For example, let's say you buy a new car and borrow £40,000 over five years and elect to have a £10,000 balloon payment on your loan. Your monthly payments will be around £576 rather than £768 without the balloon payment, but you'll still have to pay £10,000 at the end of your five-year contract. 
That assumes, of course, that the future value of the car will still be £10,000. And that's calculated based on the annual mileage that you have, that you do and what kind of condition the car is in at the end of your loan term. It's possible that your car might not be worth £10,000 at the end, in which case you could still owe the lender more than £10,000. Conversely, the car might be worth more than £10,000, in which case you might have a little bit of a deposit for your next car. Pros and cons to this kind of loan. The pros include lower or no initial payments. It can also enable borrowers to access affordable short-term capital and it can help to cover financing gaps. However, in terms of cons, the cost of the loan can be higher in the long term, especially if the loan is interest only. It may also pose more risk than traditional loans due to the payment schedule. When it's time to make the repayment, it's crucial to plan for the lump sum payment before you even take out the loan. And keep in mind that things don't always work out as expected. So the next time you're on the hunt for that new, used or upgraded car, make sure you're aware of balloon payments going into the process. Back to you, Heather. And Jean Johansson, lovely to see you. Jean, I'm intrigued. An investment that has quadrupled in value. What have you got for us? Hi, Heather. So I made my best investment back in 2009. It's a bit of a funny one, but stick with me. So I fancy treating myself to a great classic handbag and I managed to get a Chanel tote leather shoulder bag with the classic chain. This was really hard to get hold of, but I managed to find one in Copenhagen. That bag has now quadrupled in price. It's very difficult to get them and lots of collectors want them. So one of my most valuable investments is a handbag. Follow and subscribe to the Finances Made Friendly podcast today to make sure you never miss an episode. Thanks for joining me, Heather Sutty, on this week's episode. Please note that the information discussed in this podcast is general in nature and shouldn't be construed as financial advice.